great worship leaders, great songwriters, and um, it looks like it's really, really good. And so this week is week two. So if you have kids of that age, you are welcome to bring them and they will learn about worship. What better thing to learn about than worship, right? Right. What better thing to be taught than how to worship the Lord and what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. So we are in week two of the series, Arrow Striker. Arrow Striker is based off of a book by Jonathan Hardy. And if you want to go deeper, I would encourage you to download the book or purchase the book online. I don't know where it might be available, but I do know that it can be downloaded and you can purchase it online. But uh, it, it is a great work that he has put together for the church at what I believe is an opportune time. I really do. And I believe that uh, the book teaches as I'm endeavoring to do through this series to capture each moment and tap into the God-given potential that each one of us have as believers. So the big idea of this, this series can be articulated right here. And I want you to read it with me if you can or will. God's desire, are you reading? I don't hear you. Okay, let's try that again. God's desire, that's better, is that we live life all in by taking the right opportunities with extraordinary faith. The right opportunities, not just any opportunity, but the right opportunities with extraordinary faith. So last week, the name of the message was Becoming an Arrow Striker. And uh, I, I used it last week the props. Um, fortunately, no one got hurt in the shooting of the arrow. I didn't shoot it, okay? I just was there. I was guilty by association, I guess. But um, Steve didn't know that he released it, so he's not here today. We took care of him. No, I don't, I don't know where he's at. <laughs> he's on security, so I'm talking, he's out in the hallway and I'm talking about him. Oh, well. So, <laughs> but, you know, I know enough about the guys that work security. I don't really know that they pay attention out there. Uh-oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. I just see a lot of meetings happening during the service out there. I'm like, how could they be listening to me if they're meeting out in the lobby? But anyway, maybe we need to put something on those windows back there so that I'm not distracted by activity out in the lobby. Just saying. But anyway, last week we talked about becoming an arrow striker. And we, we talked about how King Jehoash, uh, in tandem with a dying prophet, Elisha, right? Elisha was in the process of dying. He's on his deathbed. And uh, the king is starting to fret over the fact that Elisha is dying. And Elisha was a mouthpiece for God, right? And, and so Elisha was looked at as being the one who would guide and direct the king victory. And now that he is literally on his deathbed dying, the king is freaking out, okay? To use modern terminology, he's freaking out. He doesn't know what he's gonna do. He goes to the king when normally, normally the prophets go to the king and share a word. In this case, the king went to the prophet because he's saying, hey, if you're gonna die, you gotta give me something. You gotta give me something that I can hang my hat on here. You gotta give me some direction, right? And so we learn from this particular passage of scripture that, uh, that Elisha's death is imminent and really the future of Israel looks kind of questionable because their, their army has shrunk way down because they've been in a battle and they've lost a lot of people in the battle. And so here is the king saying, hey, 
what's going to happen in the future? And so he goes to the prophet, and the prophet gives some very uh, direct encouragement, and we find it in the key passage, which is really the key passage for the series. And it says, now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, which we have here, right? And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Now, again, I want you to get a picture of this because the king is on his deathbed. So somehow or another, he musters up the strength to get out of his deathbed and makes his way to the king as the king is standing at the window getting ready to shoot the arrow. And Elisha comes up and Elisha puts his hands on the hands of the king. Remember what that is symbolic of? That's symbolic of the Lord's touch, the Lord's favor upon the king and the authority, the authority of the word of God that was to come upon the king in that time, right? That says a lot, does it not? That's important. That's important for us to realize right there. So he puts his hands on his hands. He says, open the east window. And he said, and he opened it, shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. And then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. And this is where the story gets a little interesting. Again, it says, the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. Again, this is a very intriguing story to me. So the question that I had last week, I still have this week, by the way, I still haven't come to a conclusion or gotten an answer on this. So why didn't Elisha tell him how many times strike the arrow? Why didn't he tell him? And, and was it just strike the arrow like this or like this? Or was it, again, as we talked about last week, which is really more of the custom of archers in the, in the days that we're talking about here, where they would literally shoot an arrow out in an open field towards where the battle would take place, again, to strike the ground as a declaration of victory. So why did he leave arrows in his quiver? Why didn't he shoot all of his arrows? Why didn't he strike the ground with all of his arrows? We're not really completely sure because it doesn't tell us in this story, but I believe that we can extrapolate and we can identify through a series of things why this must have been the case. You know, it's interesting to me that sometimes God only gives us this much with what he wants us to do. And I believe that we serve a God, hear me out when I say this, we serve a God that really expects us to take the initiative. Could it be? Could it be that the problem with the king was a lack of commitment, half-heartedness? Could it be that he lacked initiative? That he was given the opportunity, but he had this half-hearted commitment to the opportunity that presented itself. So we're going to investigate that a little further today. And we're going to see that what God really intended to be complete victory and annihilation of the enemy's army 
unfortunately, because of this man's lack of commitment. But don't tell me that our, commi- our commitments or our choices don't affect the whole. Do. Hello? It's awful quiet in here. Is anybody paying attention to what I'm saying? It does. My decisions affect you. Your decisions affect me. Our decisions affect each other for the kingdom. Yeah? And I think we, li- we live in a day with just this, this, this loosey-goosey, greasy grace, as some people call it. And it's like, yeah, I don't really have to take responsibility for my actions. Oh, really? Now, what Bible did you get that from? Because that's not in the Bible that I've been reading. There's accountability. There's responsibility for the decisions that we make, right? And I believe that this is a perfect example. And we need to go all in. And we need to be fully committed. Because here in this story, the king's lack of commitment cost an entire nation complete victory. So why didn't the king go all in? Why did he stop short? Why did he only strike the ground three times? Why did he not give it his all? Well, I think we can look a couple of verses earlier and we see it on the screen right here. Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, began to rule over Israel in the 37th year of King Joash's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 16 years. Now watch this. Pay attention to what's coming up next here. It says... He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. So what was the problem here? He really wasn't committed to the Lord. He he lived selfishly the way he wanted to live instead of committing himself fully to the Lord and obeying the Lord, obeying what the Lord asked of him, right? Right? And he fell in line with the other kings that just, what they wanted to do and lived an evil life. We see that lack of commitment, that half-hearted effort, if you will. And unfortunately, his half-hearted effort resulted in a lost opportunity. He missed the opportunity, completely annihilate the enemy. May that never be said of us, church, right? And that takes me to where we're going today. And I know that was a long lead in. It's a shorter message, I promise. But the opportunity in front of us, the opportunity in front of us, there's a target. There's a target. Are we aiming for the right target? That's a question I have for you this morning. Are we aiming for the right target or are we just carelessly half-hearted, Striking the ground saying, yeah, I'll, 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 give it, I'll give it this much time, but not that much time. I'll do this, Lord, but I won't do that. Is it possible that we're guilty of that? Sorry, I was distracted by something else that was going on in the lobby again. <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, look, a bird, a squirrel, right? <laughs> you don't know until you're up here, folks. That's all I got to tell you, you know? It's easy for you to go, oh, why are you so distracted by Trust me, okay? The Latin phrase for opportunity, the Latin phrase, means coming toward a port. Coming towards a port like a ship coming into harbor. That's the Latin phrase for opportunity. Referencing the wind blowing the ship. Remember the old ships that used to sail the sea that had the big, 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 what do you call them? Sails, multiple sails. So that as the wind caught the sail and the sails could be steered, what did it do? It drove the ship forward, right? That's what the word opportunity truly represents here. The wind backing, guiding you. (laughs) 
That's what opportunity means. The word opportunity is also a word that comes from the word opportune. So the root word is opportune, which means well-timed or correctly aligned. It's a time and it's an occasion, right? It's a time and it's an occasion. So it would be wise of us to pay attention to the opportunities that are before us and to seize the opportunities that God would have us to take. Now, here's what I'm going to say. Not every opportunity is a good opportunity. Not every opportunity is a God opportunity. So how do you know the difference? You have to know the one who's presenting the opportunities. You have to know what God's word says about opportunities. You need to use wisdom. God, is this you? Is this something? Are you setting me up? Are you moving in my, my, my life for me to take the opportune moment right now to align myself with what you're doing? Or is this just another moment, another opportunity among many opportunities that may not be a God opportunity? So we have to know the difference between a good opportunity and a God opportunity, just like we have to know the difference between a good idea versus a God idea. Right, church? Uh, Are you with me? So as it relates to opportunity, we must pay attention to the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we must allow for him because he is the wind and he catches the sail and he pushes us. He guides us. If we allow him to steer us, he will guide us where he wants us to go. You know, the, the ancient Celtic believers known to literally get in boats and pray. That's honest truth. You can look it up for yourself. I think Brendan was a perfect example of what I'm telling you about. He got in a boat and he prayed and he said, Lord, your wind, the wind of your spirit, push me and guide me where I need to go. Now, what would happen if we lived our lives like that today? Where we said, Lord, this is a new day and I'm yours. I've got the sails up and I am open to you to lead me and guide me, to move me where you want me to go, and I'm willing to say what you want me to say, to do what you want me to do, to live how you want me to live, what would happen? I think if all of us lived like that, there would be a whole lot more opportunities that would come about. And we would see the God opportunities that are presented to us because he would guide us right into those opportunities. See, I believe that we need to live knowing that God wants to lead us into new opportunities right? Well-timed, rightly aligned moments that we step into. I want to take us to Matthew chapter 25 for a few moments. I want to talk about the parable of the three servants. Talk about opportunity. Man, this is a great passage. Talk about opportunities. And I want to read it this morning from the New Living Translation. Wording in the New Living, it's just, it's on point. It just really says it. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Now, I want you to make note of that phrase right there. You got it? You got it? Dividing it in proportion to what? Their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the, how many? Five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned how many more? Five more, right? The servant who had two bags of silver also went to work and earned how many more? Two more, right? 
But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. He put the money in the ground. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. A servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, and he said, Master, you have you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been made faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So they celebrated, right? The servant who had received how many? Two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me how many? Two Two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned how many more? Two more, right? Master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. And again, he says, let's celebrate together. And the story gets very interesting. Can you say interesting? Or alarming? (laughs) Probably more alarming probably is more accurate. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops where you're not planting and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, Why didn't you deposit my money in a bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with how many? Ten. Give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more, say more, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh my, right? The story doesn't end so well for the servant that had one talent or one bag of silver, right? This has always been an interesting passage to me. Kind of a gut check It's definitely one of those passages of scripture that when you read it honestly and openly and you you look at your own life, you sort of go, okay, Lord, how am I doing? How am I doing? Am I okay with my investment? Am am, am I doing okay with what you've given me to invest? Time, talent, treasure, my life for your kingdom? Because isn't that the question that we should be asking ourselves, friends, isn't it? And here, it's interesting that we we must make note of the fact that Jesus is teaching kingdom principles here, right? He's introducing kingdom principles, relevatory concepts, if you will. He's describing that with opportunities come responsibilities. Are you with me? Right? And let me tell you something. This still applies to our lives today, friends. 
And, and so I want to share a couple of takeaways for you this morning, okay? And I want to share these as quick as I can. Number one is this. You always have more than enough for the next opportunity. Can I say that if you just keep shooting arrows, God will provide the arrows. But if you don't shoot the arrows you already have, the arrows that you have might be taken from you. And arrows are symbolic, again, of authority, right? Arrows are symbolic, in this case, in the story that we read, of God's victory and his blessings, right? But you always have more than enough for the next opportunity as long as you engage in what the Lord has before you. So the first man, he had how many bags? Five. And, and, and he did what? He invested in how many more did he get? And then plus one, right? So he had 11. Because the one bag that was given to the man who did nothing with it was given to him. He go, well, wait, look, that's not fair, Lord. Are you kidding me? You took the one bag that the one guy had and you gave it to the guy who had the most? Why didn't you give it to the guy who only had two bags? And then four. And then he even had five. That's why I'm not God. And that's why you're not God. <laughs> right? I mean, after all, we live in a society that says everybody gets a trophy. Yay! <laughs> but there are some important things that we need to see about this story here. First of all, let me say this. The fact that they were given what they were given does not speak of their value to God. Hmm. Wait, what? Wait a minute. You, what, you, what we're talking about is not related to their salvation. It's not related to the fact that God shed his grace on them. He did. He did. He died for them just like he died for you. He died for the man with one bag versus two bags versus five bags. The fact that they didn't use what they were given to the best of their ability doesn't mean that they're not saved. Except for the one man who was unfortunately cast into the dark place. But it's not, it's not so much what he did with what he was given. It was the attitude that he had about the one who invested in the first place. Does that make sense? And I'll get to that in a moment. I want us to see here that the great equalizer, as it relates to equity, are the expectations. So in other words, God sees value in each and every person. He sees value in me. He sees value in, he doesn't love me more than he loves you. He doesn't see more value in you than he does me. Are, are we clear on that? God loves us all the same, friends. And some of us, we're like, yeah, but God has favorites. No, God gives grace and favor to specific people for specific reasons at particular times. Doesn't mean that he loves them more. He loves them. He loves you. He loves me all the same. He may love what you do more than he loves what the other person does. Hello? Does that make sense? So let's not confuse our value or our identity our identity in Christ with what we can do for him. Are, are you with me on that? The giftedness of each of us varies, and so do the expectations. Based on those gifts, I want to focus on another angle real quick here. Notice that the owner of the estate is the one who provides the resources for the work. They don't even have to invest their own funds. The investment is provided. Isn't that amazing? In other words, the owner says, here's the capital, invest it. I'm just trusting you to invest it correctly, right? The servant's got a head start. 
for future investments as the owner provided the capital. Through this story, Jesus is showing his listeners that God will give you and I what we need to accomplish the next opportunity. And he has given us what we need to accomplish the next opportunity. Jesus is making it clear that God gives each of us the investment that he chooses to give each and every one of us. None of us can say that God hasn't given us some kind of skills, abilities, talents, giftedness. We all have differing skills and abilities and talents. The key is not who has what, but the key is are you using what God has given you? Are you employing it? Are you engaging in what he would have you to engage in? All those amounts might be different from person to person. We all have received, have we not? Peter says it this way. I love Peter. Now, Peter would have heard this. He would have heard this passage when it was articulated for the very first time, right? Because he was one of the closest followers. Didn't mean that he had more value than the others. He was just one of the closest followers to Christ, right? He was in his inner circle, right? Is it possible that you can be a favorite and still be loved in the same way that everybody else is? Of course, right? Are, Are you with me on that? I don't want us to be confused about that part of this story. God sees value in each and every one of us. You and I, we are prized possessions of Almighty God. He put a pearl of great price in every single one of us, and he wants every single one of us to identify what that pearl looks like for you, for me, right? So, but here's what Peter says. Years later, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Does everything mean everything? I'm going to ask it again. Does everything mean everything? Yes, it certainly does. Everything we need for life and godliness is found where? In him. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And in the first letter that Peter wrote, we find these words, which are also powerful. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards. Say stewards with me. Stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God, which I'm doing the best I can right now, okay? Very best I can. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, through him, who? To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So we have what we need for that next opportunity. Second thing I want to convey is this. What you think of God will impact your opportunity. What you think, number two, what you think of God will impact your opportunity. See, the problem with the man with one bag was he didn't have the right perspective of the investor. He didn't really know. (laughs) Are you with me on this? He didn't really know the investor. Because if he would have had a relationship with the investor, he wouldn't have made the mistake he made. Because he called something out in the investor that wasn't true. Hello? Do you see that? He didn't really know the heart and the character of the investor. Is it possible that sometimes we can do for God without really knowing the God we're doing what we're doing for? Yeah, it is possible. That's why we need to know who he is. 
personally knowing his nature and his character. That's what it all boils down to, right? It's about stewardship, properly handling what God has provided for us. But in so doing, we must know the one for whom we are serving and investing for, right? Stewardship. You know, we, we think, when we think stewardship, we immediately think tithing and giving. And that is important, very important. Because if we're not tithing and we're not giving, then we don't understand at all the principle of stewardship. And it, it's getting kind of quiet in here. Matter of fact, I've found that what we do with money really defines who we trust or what we trust we trust in. And I get that there are sometimes, and I'm just, I'm just going to be, is that okay? That's my granddaughter crying right there. She's the only one allowed to cry in here. No, I'm not I'm just kidding. No. I totally lost my train of thought just then. <laughs> Dear father, I was going somewhere and it was good. It really was. It was on tithing, that much I remember. Tithing and giving defines where we put our confidence and our trust. I'm gonna be very transparent with you here. So I had surgery, right? Major surgery. Major surgery means your bills. It shows up in my chart, you owe. And I go, dear father in heaven. I'm like, I don't have that money. Are they going to come after me now? What are they going to do? You know, it's funny how the devil works because even a pastor, even a committed pastor, I go, okay, so am I going to pay for this bill or am I going to tithe? Uh, let me tell you something. That was a short conversation because I know who provides ultimately for this guy. And you know what? Cleveland Clinic is just going to have to wait on their money. And they're going to get it as I can give it. Because I'm not going to rob Peter to pay Paul in this case. I'm not going to rob from God to pay a medical bill. I'm not doing it. I'm going to give to the Lord what is his. And I'm going to trust him to give to me what I don't even know where it's coming from so that I can take care of all the responsibilities. Are, are you hearing me right now, church? It's up to us what we do with what God has provided for us. And you may think, but, but pastor, that's like the big deal, friends. Let me tell you something. When a crisis hits and all of a sudden you need money over here and you go, well, okay, it's... Um, Either I buy this or take care of that or I, no, let me tell you something. It's the right decision every time to give God what belongs to him because here's what happens. When you give to him what he, what he is worthy of, what belongs to him, he will some way, somehow, through creative financing, take care of the issues in your life. Amen. I saw this disturbing video this week online about these pastors that are asking for more and more money so that they can buy bigger planes and go more places. And I'm like, and that gives what I'm trying to do a bad rap. 
because I'm not that kind of guy. I drive a car like most of you drive. Matter of fact, some of you drive much nicer vehicles than I drive. And guess what? I'm okay with that. I'm not threatened by that. Newest vehicle I have is a 2018. Now, for some of you, maybe that's a new vehicle. The oldest vehicle I have is a year younger than that. And I try to buy decent used vehicles. Why? Because I don't want to be nickel and dime to death with car repairs. So don't confuse me with the guy online or the guy speaking on TV. Oh, dear Lord, don't even get me going about guys on TV. Oh, God will bless you if you'll bless me. And they're getting more and more airplanes and going more places. I'm not the judge of that, but let me tell you something. It leaves a bad taste in people's mouths, especially when they really blow it during an interview, when they're questioned on why, why they're doing what they're doing and they get angry and blow up on the person that's questioning them. I'm like, yeah, where's your fruit of the spirit at there, dude? You just blew it. Because the fruit of the spirit is what truly defines who you are. Isn't that true? It's about what we do with what God has provided for us. That irritates me when all of a sudden it's like, well, you, you know, if you do this, you'll get blessed in this way. Now, how about we just stick with the principles that are written in the word of God, friends? And if we can master that, we'll see God bless. And we'll see God bless your life. We'll see God bless this church. We'll be able to do what God wants us to do as a church if we'll just be obedient to do what he's asked us to do. Nothing more, nothing less, Right? In this case, the master points to the servant's life and he calls them wicked and lazy. Because again, he doesn't have the right perspective of who he's dealing with here. God takes his investment seriously. That's why this passage is in the Bible right here. Go to the next uh, slide, if you will. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Are we doing okay on time? Can you hang with me a few more minutes? A few, just a few, right? A few more minutes. Don't get hangry on me, okay? For it is by grace you have been saved. Hold it right there a minute. It says it, does it not? It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. You can stop right there and say, you know what? That's it. Your identity in Christ, saved by him. That's where your salvation comes from, right? But notice there's something more that we need to see here. It says... For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's not about just giving our resources. It's about giving our time. It's about giving uh, uh, our talents as well as our treasures. Yeah? Our salvation is based on what Jesus has already done for us, but our stewardship is based on what we do with what he has given to us and how he has transformed our lives. He did not save us because of our good works. He saved us for good works, to do good works in and through our lives. You cannot get to heaven by doing enough good. It's impossible. You can only get to heaven through Jesus and his salvation. He's called us to work for the kingdom. He's called us to invest. We're called to take the next opportunity. The difference between the first two servants, or the first and second versus the third, is that they didn't, he didn't understand the character of the investor like the first two did. 
we must understand the character of the one who's invested in our lives. Know that he's worthy of it, right friends? Let me, let me just quickly go to the third point and I'll touch on it and we'll be done. Opportunity that's invested right results in more opportunity. I said earlier, not every opportunity is a God opportunity. But once we realize that something is a God opportunity, shouldn't we draw back the bow and let her fly, right? Commit fully to what it is that God is asking us to do. To invest in the right opportunities will promote and create more opportunities. Notice the result of those who use their gifts well. They got even more, right? Difference between the good investment and the bad investment? Not understanding who the investor is. I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes I need to be reminded of who I am in Christ in order to, to have a fresh perspective or a fresh understanding of what I need to do for him. Mm-hmm. Yep. In other words, I need, to, I need to sharpen the arrow, right? You know, back in the day, they had to sharpen their own arrows, you, you know? They didn't remain sharp. They used them. They had to sharpen. We need to believe that we can take what God has provided for us and give him a good return on his investment. How we spend our time, how we invest our abilities and our talents and our other resources. And you know, for some, you may need this encouraging, what my grandfather called the 10 finger prayer. (laughs) You may need this encouraging passage of scripture. Here it is. I can do all, bring it up on the screen there. Thank you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to believe that. Instead of shying away from God, what God is calling us to do, we need to say a quick yes. Even though we don't know how we're going to do it, we need to say, yes, Lord, I'm trusting in you. I don't know how. I trust that you're going to do it through me. Yeah, right? Hello? Maybe it's opening up your house to host a life group in your living room. You're like, boy, I don't know. That's that's asking an awful lot of me. Well, maybe just maybe God is asking you to do something right now. You go, I don't know how. It's possible that he could be asking you to do something and you're going, but I don't know how. But friends, that's where trust comes into play. And we trust God to show us, to reveal himself to us, right? Maybe you're financially blessed and thinking, how am I going to use the resources that God has has entrusted to me? If you will, God will bring even more blessings to you. If you will invest them, God will bless more. And I've seen that happen so many times, so many times. Maybe it's a musical gift that you have. And and I know we like to glorify certain gifts, like the platform gifts get, get more. But let me tell you something. I'm thankful for our worship team. If it wasn't for everybody else behind the scenes that you don't even know that do what they do, worship wouldn't even happen. Hello? Every, every job, every opportunity has significance and importance in the kingdom. There are some opportunities that are vitally important, even more critically important than playing an instrument on a platform. We don't always think that way because we go off of what we see. But friends, every opportunity that we, that we uh, step into for the kingdom is of vital importance. And if we don't step into those opportunities, that may mean that something that should happen doesn't happen. Point is this, don't waste what God has given you. Don't waste it. Use it for God's glory and watch him add more blessings.
I'm going to end with this quote, and it's a familiar quote. Matter of fact, I heard it on the radio just this last week. So I just heard it just as late as a couple of days ago. Great quote by John Wesley. (laughs) He articulated this many, many years ago. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can. In all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever can. (laughs) I like that. Talk about being a good steward. That quote speaks of being a good steward and seizing the opportunities that present themselves. Now it comes down to this. It comes down to being honest with God over what he has given us, what he's made us responsible for. And that's why I like Colossians 4, 5, and this is the last passage I want to read to you. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Amen? Amen. Can we do that? Can we pull another arrow out? Pull back the bow. Strike the ground. Saying, you know what? I'm going to take take the ground. In cases, we're taking back what the enemy has stolen from us. And if you're there, you know I'm talking to you. You've taken your time away from the Lord. You've taken your talent away from the Lord. Some of you, you've also taken your resources away from the Lord. It's a dangerous place to be, friends. We must get back to where we're all in, where we are committed, where we say, God, even if it costs me everything, God, even if it means that the the hospital's gonna come, I'm not gonna stop paying my tithe. It takes that kind of commitment, friends. I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord and how I serve, where I serve, what I give, contribute, my time. Hello, right? Are you, are you with me? It's time that we pull out another arrow, back the bow, shoot. Amen. Stand to your feet, if you will. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are here with us, that you're speaking to us. Lord, you're speaking directly to some people in the room right now. You're saying things to them that I didn't even say. You're revealing things to them that I I certainly didn't reveal as revelation, but you're speaking right now. And you're showing, you're showing them, Lord God, what they really need to hear from you. So it's not so much what I've said this morning. All I've done is to try to say what you've told me to say. Lord, you're speaking directly our hearts. Lord, you spoke to me directly before I even gave this word about some corrections even in my life, how I'm looking at certain things. And I pray, God, that you, as the word that came to me from the very beginning of the year, that you would recalibrate our perspectives, that we would see you for who you are, and that we would serve you wholeheartedly, and that we would take advantage of every opportunity that presents itself. And Father, that you would be Lord of all, Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Remember that old song? Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart. Sing that again. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of 
my heart. Lord, be the Lord of all. Let today be a turning point. But I want to speak to those who may not know you today. That they, Lord God, would take a chance and put their trust in a God who is trustworthy. That they would yield their lives to a God who gives everlasting life. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every person in this room where we're at. And Lord, that you would be Lord of not just some or a Lord of a little here or a little there, that you would be Lord of all. We ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I hear that there's some good food just down the hallway.